I'm excited to welcome once again my friend and colleague Neil. He's going to share this morning as our guest speaker. Neil did many years of ministry down in Almsville, and this morning he's doing it here. Yeah. So Neil, please come and share with us. Can I have a? Yeah. Well, welcome. How's everybody doing today? You know, Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday, and it's extra sweet when the Patriots lose, so. <laughs> oh, wait, were you a Patriots fan, Matt? Wouldn't you agree? I think we'd all, we'd all agree to that, yeah. Well, you know, when I was, uh, I was kind of, I've been uh, reading through the books of Moses this year, pretty much that's all I've, where I've been. Uh, last time I got a chance to share with you, I think it was Mother's Day, right? So it was a, a few months ago. Uh, but uh, I was been in Exodus, and I keep reading and rereading that book, and it's actually quite fascinating. Uh, how many of you have read Exodus in the past year? Real quickly. Okay, good, good. Uh, however, you probably know a little bit of that story, don't you? Uh, because it's pretty formational for us as, as believers, the people of God. We're actually going to look at chapter 15. So if you want to just kind of get that open in your Bibles, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, so chapter 15 in Exodus is kind of a pivot point. Uh, the stuff in Egypt is actually concluded at 14. Uh, God has delivered his people. They're now outside of Egypt. They've passed through the Red Sea. God has punished the Egyptians numerous times through that process, and now it's everything before them. Uh, so, uh, but there's a 15 is kind of an interlude. It's a whole, uh, most of this chapter is taken up with what's known as like the Song of Moses or the Song of Israel, where they're praising God for his might and power, wonder, wonder-working power and deliverance and salvation. And I'll just uh, let you know from the outset. And then it pivots again to what's really probably the ma- a major theme in Exodus and the rest of the books of Moses, those first five books of the Bible, which is grumbling and complaining. Thanksgiving turns to grumbling and complaining fast, fast. How many of you have noticed this in your own life? This isn't just truth, by the way, that was true long ago for the ancient Egyptians and Israelites. This is truth that's never not been true. Our joy, our thanks can turn very quickly to something else if we don't, if we let it, if we let it happen. Um, You know, it's actually quite a bit more difficult uh, to praise. It requires more energy to praise and give thanks than it usually does to grumble or murmur. That's another word you'll see when we read through that passage, murmur. Or, uh, and how many of you have noticed your own heart has a tendency to go that way? Well, it's okay if you don't tell me yet, but <laughs> I know how human hearts work because mine works this way too. It's amazing how quickly uh, thanks can turn to grumbling. Thanks can turn to grumbling. But just so you know, if I ask a question, it is actually okay for you to answer it. Um, For instance, I'm always curious, uh, since we've just had a major holiday, how many of you are turkey people and how many of you prefer ham? Raise your right hand if you're a turkey person, left hand if you're a ham person. Or uh, we got turducken ham? Yeah. 
There's a lot of field goals there. I, I like both as well. Uh, a thing you often find is the phrase, I like side dishes. I like side dishes. How many of you are a fan more of the side dishes at Thanksgiving? What's your favorite? Sweet potatoes is a good one. I heard sweet potatoes. <laughs> Did someone just say sugar? <laughs> that might not be actually a side dish. It might have just been on the table. But um, Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's always wonderful to give thanks because we do have a lot to give thanks for, don't we? Even in the midst of tough and difficult circumstances, we have a lot to be thankful for. And I just encourage you, and you'll see as we kind of look at this passage, that thanks is our duty as people of God. Giving thanks is our duty as people of God. And if you've ever wondered uh, in your Christian life, whether you've been in it for years and years or it's kind of new to you, the New Testament is actually filled with what you can do. It's not shy about saying what we ought to be. And you'll find, we'll look at just one of those passages as we close today, because it just seemed like the Spirit was prompting me to lead us that way, just to read most of Romans 12, because it's a reflection on what we ought to be about. What we ought to be about. And I'll be frank with you, it often breaks my heart to read that passage, because I don't see as many Christians living that out in their lives as I, I think should. Because the problem isn't our Savior, is it? And the problem isn't our God. So I think sometimes the problem is living out that new, new life that God has given us can be difficult because the old patterns take a while to break. How many of you have noticed that in your life? Those old patterns sometimes take, I think it might be called a lifetime to break. But God has already done everything he needed to do. He's moved heaven and earth numerous times, if you will, to get a hold of his people and to break their hearts for what his beats for, to change us from the inside out. And so I know the best thing for that is God's word. Best thing for that is God's word. As we look at, uh, I know we don't like the truth here. Another thing I just wanted to point out from the get-go is that God tests his people. Good news, it's not an essay test if you're not a fan of writing, but God tests his people. He always has been testing his people. And here's what I don't sometimes like myself. He doesn't just do it once. It's a continuous thing because it's for our good, how we can grow and continue to grow as we depend on him through that test. And real quickly, just so everybody knows, Jesus himself took the test perfectly and shares with us his victory. So you don't even have to worry about the tests, but they do come. And they're for your benefit and mine. Because we only grow, at least this is my conviction, you and I, people of God, we only grow when we take steps of faith. I do not believe, at least anymore, that we grow at all when we don't get challenged to take steps of faith. That's where I am, at, at least in my life. God tests his people, but it's for our good. For our good. I just wanted to say two things, and then I'm going to read uh, Exodus 15 for us. Uh, just of note, um, one, as we notice, when you sing, and I know we're all Baptists here, I believe, 
dance in secret. But when you sing, when you dance, who is the audience of our praise? Yeah, I, I just think it's good to point this out. It's to the Lord. It's to the Lord. It's not to anybody else around us. It's to the Lord. I just thought that was important to point out. The second is I know uh, with any group of any people, uh, I don't know where you're at. And we'll see there's two locations this chapter leaves us at. One is called Mariah or Mira. It means the root for bitterness. And Mary, which is interesting, the name Mary. But the other is Elam, Eliam. And we'll see that's a place where God has provided. If you're in a place of bitterness right now, of challenge, God understands, and he's there, and he's with you in that testing, in that challenge, in that difficulty. If you're in a place of blessing, God is there. God is there. God is there. There's great comfort in that, but just note it, that we will move from both, uh, from one place to the next, back and forth throughout our lives. Uh, But do not forget God's presence, just like he was with ancient Israel, he was there in the cloud, as we'll see, providing manna and providing water uh, when they were in a place of hardship and in a place of great blessing. Let me read for us today. Actually, let me pray, then we'll read. Father God, I thank you so much for your great goodness towards us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that because you succeeded, because you passed the test, because you were faithful, uh, you, and because you are God himself in human form, that you wanted to share with us your victory. And we have that through simple faith in you. We thank you, Lord, that your faith doesn't just leave us as orphans, but it transforms us and changes us from, uh, into your image as we behold your glory. Lord, I ask that as we look at this Old Testament passage, we would see clearly how you were present and how you were testing how you are in on the lips of your people when they praise, and you are calling them to live lives that don't look like the world around. Please empower us to learn from you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read chapter 15, and I'm reading it in uh, New American Standard today. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up in a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desires shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. And you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. 
They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed, and the leaders of Moab tremble, trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, a place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Then it says, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, who would be Moses' sister as well, um, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he is hurled into the sea. We'll finish the chapter in a couple minutes here, but I just wanted to pause and reflect for a moment on that long song. In a sense, I think this is very similar to a bit of a doxology, as you find those in the Bible, a song of praise of God's might and strength. Usually they're much more concise than 20 verses or so, but did you note the language of that song? I, I, uh, if you hit that uh, next slide there, I think it's one after that. Um, you, we have words like exalted, salvation, praise, uh, majestic, extol, greatness, excellence. These are all similar words in that sense, aren't they? They're words that lift up, that kind of magnify. And that's important. That's important. When you come to those passages in, in God's book, they're for us to stop and reflect and, I think, lift up our voice and our praise to God. Those doxologies or words of glory are important. And I just will give you a little hint. It's one of the things, one of the ways you and I can employ our voice, can employ our words. Words that lift up God's greatness and praise. Words of thanks. But there is obviously another thing that can happen too. But I just wanted to point that out. Words of glory are just amazing. Uh, when you find them, they're just so impactful. They sometimes seem to come out of the blue, but I think that's because when we're reflecting and thinking and being challenged by God, remember his faithfulness and his goodness and reflect that back to him in a continual, constant way. Continual, constant way. Um, another thing is that we have this, uh, we have this challenge. We have this. Oh, I was going to ask. When I was reading, did, did your translation or your Bible, was there another word of glory, one of those uplift words about God that you noticed, that you thought was of particular note? I have found in my life now that when, when something strikes me, 
I, I try to stop and dive into that a little bit. See, what, what was that that made that jump out? Honestly, when I was reading and studying for this message, the thing that jumped out most was how infrequent almost any of those words make it into my vocabulary. And I thought, that was kind of sad. They probably should come up a little more often. They probably should. I think maybe one reason why that kind of is is because words like excellence, greatness, and, uh, you know, exaltation are kind of only really able to be used of God himself anyway. Because things on this earth don't seem to ever get to that level, do they? Sorry, that's a rhetorical question. They do not. <laughs> but the things of God do. And when we see God work, it should always re- engender those responses. So I just wanted to encourage you to look for those when they jump out at you and to maybe uh, kind of embrace that. So the other thing is I just wanted to note something I, I say frequently, but it's a very profound biblical truth, and it needs to be said. Verse 22 comes right after verse 21. The passage doesn't end with the closing of the song. Nor would even the passage end if it was the end of the chapter. But it goes on, and note how it ends. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, that was its name. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the water became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms and they camped there beside the waters. I'm sure you all noticed that. Verse 22 continues the passage, continues the story. Three days is all it took from their joy and exaltation to go to grumbling. That's all it took. Now, granted, three days without water is a lot of time without water, so we shouldn't minimize it. But I have to ask, what do you know about what they all had just witnessed in their lives? What had these men and women, a large, large number of them, just witnessed? I mean, the song was all about just the deliverance through the sea, but they had seen God's hand at work for months, possibly, beforehand, as the plagues were coming against Egypt. And if it's been a while since you uh, read those stories or watched the Ten Commandments, or if you're younger, uh, Prince of Egypt, Though that's like 20 plus years old now, so not even that young. Uh, but if, or uh, the, the veggie tale on it, uh, whatever your experience of these stories are, they had witnessed God show up again and again and again. Also, God made a distinction. He punished the Egyptians, but he spared the Israelites. 
until the end when there was more that God was trying to show with the death of the firstborn, that God will pass over those who have put a substitute. But just to note, they had witnessed all of that, as well as the, the miracles and the signs that God gave Moses to perform to be a proof of what? Of, that he came from their God. He delivered them. And also, there's even more. Does anyone know what else they would have already still been witnessing at this point in time? Because it was there the whole time they were in the wilderness. God's presence was there with a giant pillar of cloud by day to provide shade and a pillar of fire at night to provide light. That presence was still there the entire time. But that is not as powerful as the grumbling and complaining of God's people sometimes. And it happened. And it happened. And just to note, it keeps happening in chapter 16, 17, and 18. So it doesn't just go away once this one thing is solved. It comes up again and again and again. I think the most egregious is at one point they just say, you know what, I don't even like the manna anymore. Which, have you ever thought about that complaint? You're literally saying, God, this, um, this miraculous provision that sustains me in every way, it's kind of bland. I want more. But I, I say that somewhat in jest, but also I think because it proves the point. What, what is it about our hearts that seem to not really cherish the gifts that God gives sometimes? What is it? A question possibly to ask yourself, and I think, heck, we all should. What is it sometimes that I can overlook God's past record of faithfulness and think it doesn't apply anymore? Or is that just me? Have you ever felt that in your life? Have you ever, and if we, if we don't make it a habit of stopping and reflecting, I would very much urge you to consider adding that to your list. Maybe just a monthly thing would be really helpful to reflect on even when you didn't know it, where was God present with you the last month? Or maybe if that's too much, just do it every like season. Where has God been in this season or this year? But if you stop and reflect, and I'd actually urge you to do that for a moment here, um, where has God been with you over this past year? And just in your own heart, thank him for his presence. Thank him for his provision. Thank him for his promise that he never leaves or forsakes us. Man, we serve an amazing God who is so kind to people like you and me. That he actually calls his beloved. He does care so, so much. We also, though, and I, I put this as kind of that challenge idea here, we have a challenge, and it's a challenge that not, doesn't just come once in a lifetime, and it's a challenge that doesn't come just yearly or monthly or weekly or I would even think daily. It's the challenge we have every, kind of with every exchange and interaction. Am I going to praise God? or grumble and complain? How many of you would affirm that that's something that you sometimes have to deal with more than once in a day? I would too. I would too. Um, I don't like talking about them much, 
but I think we know we have an enemy. And our enemy doesn't have to do much to win. He just has to get us to start that same old lie, questioning God's intent. Did God really say? Did God really intend for that? It's, a, it's, a, it's shocking sometimes to realize how quickly we can get off track, get off track and get into that grumbling, get into that area of complaining. It's one of the things I just wanted to, to impress on all of us, including myself, is that Grumbling or complaining about something isn't the end of the world. It's going to happen. It's probably even going to happen today when I get home and ask people to do chores, including myself, because it needs to happen after the holiday weekend. But what happens when single actions or occasional things start to become habitual? It's kind of why I wanted to mention, like, how much of the, the, the books of Moses, those first books of the Bible, are taken up with the people grumbling and complaining? Because it happens five times in the book of Exodus alone. And it happens five times in the books of Numbers as well. Ten, ten of the large check chunks of those books are taken up with this. And I think it's because one time's not a problem, but once it becomes a habit, it gets hard to break. And habits, unfortunately, uh, are learned by your children and those around you. They can be picked up on. Sometimes, and I'm preaching to us all right now, I suspect this is also what people think of when they think of Christians. They're those people that just complain and grumble about everything because it's not exactly right. I'm sure that's nobody in this room, but we probably know someone like that too. By the way, if it's not anyone else in the room, there's a good chance it's the speaker themselves. Guys, we have a problem with this grumbling and complaining, and it's something that God is pretty serious about us not being about. The New Testament itself is so filled with the opposite. It's kind of shocking, it's, but in a good way. I think we need that shock to realize how much God intends for us, and we'll get to that. I want to read a few of those passages in just a moment. There's one verse in this whole chapter that stood out like, kind of like a lightning bolt, because I'd never quite noticed it so powerfully before, and it was a weird one. Some of you might have picked up on it. Did anybody notice Verse 25. Verse 25 is a little weird. Let me read it for us again. It says this. They cried out to the Lord. By the way, when you're having trouble and we don't know what to do, crying out to the Lord is absolutely the right thing to do. So when Moses cried out to the Lord because the people were having such difficulty, Look at what verse 25 says. The Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the water became sweet. That's kind of a weird verse. One, because if you've ever tried to throw a tree into a stream, you usually have to cut it down first, because those roots tend to keep them attached. Even trees in the Middle East, generally, you need some help with. Uh, 
This is, I think, one of those places, many places, uh, where I think the divine author is letting us in on a secret. Because where do we ever hear story about our salvation coming from a tree? Like the whole rest of the book. Because Jesus is often described as hanging on a tree for us. And that's not, I think, unintentional. I think it's there. Uh, Paul tells us in, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10, that the rock was Christ when it gave out water. Notice what this rock does, what this tree does when it's thrown into the water. It takes what was once bitter and unhealthy and makes it sweet and perfected. Isn't that a lot like our Jesus? By the way, that's another rhetorical question, which is, yes, yes it is. Uh, he is all about taking what is bitter and broken and not working and purifying and perfecting and restoring it all. He's really good at it, too. Taking what doesn't work and making it work. I am really glad he is like that. I'm really glad that's how God works. So I think that's why verse 25 happens. And it's really strange. Um, I, was just, I was just thinking how odd it would be to be in that situation, to have that pillar of cloud or that pillar of fire there, and to have witnessed all the miracles. And yet, it seems like when the people grumbled and complained, they just went along with it. They just went along with it. And here they see it happening again, and it won't take long for it to come back. I think the other thing why this passage is the way it is is because it's pointing to something else that we need a Savior true to take the test for us. You know, the test, like I was talking about, is offered in the Bible to, to pretty much every single figure of prominence you see. Will they pass the test or not? And it's really easy, by the way, to get this right. The answer is they will not pass. They all fail. From Adam to Moses himself, uh, through David, to every king. You're kind of looking for who is the one that will pass that test? Who's the one that will succeed? Um, and it's pointing to the fact that none of them will. Only our Savior Jesus will succeed. He's the one that's pointed at in that little, I think, line about throwing the tree in because God knew later what he was going to do, how Jesus would purify a bitter world uh, into one full of righteousness. So, I just wanted to encourage us with those thoughts, that God is all about the test being taken through Jesus, and he does it perfectly. And because Jesus did it perfectly, and he is perfect as who he is, he shares with anyone who asks his victory. Isn't that amazing? Even one of the songs we were sing, uh, singing this morning, I was reflecting on that passage in, I think it's Revelations chapter 3, where it literally says, Christ on his throne will welcome some to sit with him. He's even sharing space on his throne. And that is a thought that kind of hurts the head, and it doesn't seem right, but it's there in the book of Revelation. If you haven't read it in a while, you might want to. It's pretty actually encouraging. Just note, God shares perfectly with his victory. He also shares with us, as we all know, his Holy Spirit. 
So there is a difference now for us New Testament people. God has placed, when we first put our trust in him, his Holy Spirit inside each of us. Uh, uh, you know, as his, his spirit there, as a, uh, a sign of what's to come, but also just to help unlock everything for us too. So even when we make mistakes, we know that our nature has now changed. But it does take a time. It does take time to unlearn our bad habits, to unlearn our bad ways of thinking. They're not productive and not of God. That's why I really wanted to just read a couple of these New Testament passages that talk a little bit about this change. So I'm probably just going to read the first three on that list. Those aren't all New Testament, obviously. But um, first one I wanted to read was, first. Th- uh, I'm going to leave that Romans one to last. Let me just read for us all 1 Thessalonians 5, um, and I'm probably going to start a little earlier than verse 16. Verse 14 says this. So I, I say this for us too. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another for evil with evil for evil but always seek that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now he says this in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. You know, I probably should have kept reading because it's interesting to note that Paul, who was encouraging people with these words, then says, pray for me as well. Nobody's done with this stuff perfectly. We still need prayer to get it more right than it is. I thought that was important to read, and I want to read this uh, Romans passage for you too, just to note just a few of the New Testament things about who we ought to be. And why I thought it was important to do this is just to note that Jesus has overcome. He's now given us a new nature. We need to nurture that new nature. That's what I hope reading these passages will do. Help us a little bit nurture that new nature. Because if you fall into the same silly trap I fall into called watching the news, it doesn't really help a life of God. At least for me, it doesn't. It makes me grumble and complain. I'm not alone, right? Well, tough crowd. I know you're not the same way. Yeah, news is dangerous. Because it changes our focus from the God who's in control to saying, wow, what is that God in control doing? If nothing else, be careful with it. And be careful the amount we put in ourselves. Because it has a habit of coming out again. Especially because of what God wants to implant in us and change in us. It takes some time. And it takes us some dwelling on it. Which is why I think the Romans 12 passage is so uh, hits me so hard. So I just wanted to read this for us all. 
I ask that as I do, uh, follow along or not, or just listen. But as you consider these words, please, please prayerfully ask the Spirit to reveal what he wants you to work on next. And it might just be uh, stopping doing something that he doesn't call us to do. It might be an adding thing. Whatever it is, just ask him. Let's let him speak to us. And let's let him pick what he really would have us do. I'm going to start in verse 9 of chapter 12 of Romans. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit in serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who are weeping. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And lastly, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He does keep going through the end of the book, if you're ever in need of something to consider. But I just want to stop there. And I want to pray for us. Would you bow with me? Father, uh, through your spirit, you, imparted, you inspired these words to be written because they are true. And you ask us to truly consider what we ought to, how we ought to live and how we ought to be. And I'm just noted as it starts that it, it exhorts us to be without hypocrisy. To abhor what is evil and to cling to what is good. To devote ourselves to each other. And give preference to no man. Lord, as you also encourage us to not be overcome by that evil, but to overcome evil with good. Because you are victorious and you are leading us in victory, we know this can happen in our lives too. And we know that it is your plan and your desire to work through us as your hands and feet into this world. And we know you do on our good days and honored bad. We thank you for that presence and that moving, and I pray, Lord, that you would inspire each and every one of us to take at least one more step closer of faith, whatever that would be. I pray, Lord, that we would learn uh, better how to extol and praise in um, your name in our lives and to those around us. 
please let us go from here with a song and a word of thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.